Welcome to I Fucking Love This Record, a music podcast hosted by me, the Derek Careview. Every week, a guest and I will be discussing an album that we both fucking love. We're going to find out how the record or band entered our lives. We're going to do some track-by-track observations and, of course, any other thoughts that come our way. Warning, these are conversations held by adults, and sometimes bad words will appear unedited. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Today we're going to be talking about Either Or, the third studio album by singer-songwriter Elliot Smith, released on February 25th, 1997 through Kill Rockstars, uh, the record label, and it was produced by Smith, Tom Rothrock, and Rob Schnapf, I think it is. It did not chart in the U.S. Three songs were included on the Goodwill Hunting soundtrack. And I'm pretty sure that did chart. That was the big uh, uh, breakthrough for him being included on that soundtrack. On the other mic today, we have a musician, a teacher, and a fellow American hiding out in Poland, Paul Preusser. Tell the people a little bit more about you. Yeah, so I grew up in Colorado. Uh, I got into music when I was, well, I got into music actually when I was a kid. Not through my parents. My mom had like the collection of ABBA and Barry Manilow. So it was just (laughs) not happening through me. But Fortunately, they had some friends who had a son who was a few years older than me, and that was basically my entrance into good music. So he would make me all these mixtapes with like The Police and The Who and uh, The Doors and all these great bands that I got into at a pretty young age. I was probably like seven or eight. And then, you know, I was sort of a child of the MTV generation, like the earliest MTV generation. So yeah. I remember watching all of those bands that were on at that time, like, you know, Madonna, Prince, U2. I mean, like that, those were kind of the people that were, were around at that time. And then when I was 15, I got an electric guitar and that completely changed my life. Uh, that was basically my entrance into making music. And all of my friends thought like, yeah, this is not going to last at all. But here we are uh, today. Um, I, I played in rock bands and a funk band when I was in college. And then I really got into playing jazz guitar. And then through kind of a long process, I ended up uh, as a classical composer, which is where we are today. So uh, I studied improvisation in Boston, and then I moved to Poland about 14 years ago, uh, originally to study. And so I studied composition uh, here in Wrocław. Oh, okay. And I've been here ever since. What was the name of your funk band in college? Freak Boy Number Nine. I think one of the guys put a couple of songs on YouTube, so it's it's around somewhere. We'll see if we can track that down later. Thank you very much for uh, joining us here on the program, joining me on the program. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so it's always nice to talk to somebody who actually knows things about music, technical stuff. So it's fun. So, uh, and I've said this to a few other people. Feel free to get technical if you want. If I don't understand something, I'll ask you to clarify. Sure. But if you want to talk like actual music stuff, like how to play or theory or whatever you want to do, uh, go for it. I always appreciate that. Paul, how did this album enter your life? That's a good question, actually, because I'm not sure. I don't know that this album entered my life in the way that other albums from Elliot Smith did. I was I was thinking about that the other day. Like, how did I get into him? And it had to have been either just before I moved to Boston, which was 1998, or just after I had moved there. But I don't remember at this time because I mix him up a little bit with Ben Harper because Ben Harper was really popular at that time too. And I know that I was really into Ben Harper and I had gone to see him, I think, once in Colorado before I moved. And I somehow confused him with Elliot Smith a lot uh, in terms of how I, I got to know him. But it was either through 
musician friends of mine, either from Denver or from Boston. It was, and it was around 98, I think, like 98, 99. I started getting into him. The first record I got was XO, the record that was right after mm -hmm. Either Or. And that was really my entrance into Elliot Smith. But then I, I had, um, I, I, usually my go-to records are either XO or uh, Figure Eight. Both of those records are, are for me just amazing. And so Either or kind of got pushed to the side a little bit. Um, so I, I really dusted it off uh, once you kind of mentioned that you wanted to talk about this particular record. Generally, I think Elliot Smith's just a great songwriter. So, I mean, he he really had that craft down. So Yeah, we and we see quite a bit of that on this record. So for me, I, this record was the first uh, one that I heard by him. Uh, I was working for a local magazine and one of my writers, I can't remember what the point of the article was. But he had mentioned Elliot Smith, and I don't know if it was one like a you know stars to look out for or something like that. So this was nobody really knew who he was at this point. But I think he had already been on the sound. I think Goodwill Hunting was already out. One of our advertisers was a local record store. Rest in peace, Vinyl Fever. So this was at my go-to record store for a long time. I ended up working there for about a year, uh, and so they were one of our advertisers. But instead of uh, giving us money, we got to choose like 10 records a month or something like that, 10, 10 albums a month. And so uh, having read this article uh, that we published and then that I'm like, OK, and so it allowed me to take some chances on music because I didn't have to pay for it. And so Elliot Smith was one of the things that I had picked up for our you know, 10 records that that month almost immediately. Just love this record. And for some reason, I'm not 100 percent sure because you had mentioned earlier XO. XO is just one that isn't on my radar. I've listened to it. I've heard it. Uh, but I don't know if it's because I, I think I bought this album or got this album, I should say, probably late of 1998. I don't think XO was out yet, but I think I was still listening to this record when XO came out. And so I just sort of overlooked it. And it was, and then I picked him back up again with figure eight. I had it in my head that XO actually came out earlier. And I thought maybe that's why I had, but somehow I just missed it. Listening to it, because thinking ah, maybe we'd do that record. It just, I like it, but it doesn't have that impact that those other two records have for me. That's, uh, that's where we are with that one. Okay, so we're going to move on now to our track-by-track -track analysis. Uh, so one of the things I've been working on here are the different types of album openers. And for those of you who are just tuning in, if this is your first one, these are the four that I have come up with. We have the Call to Action. And this is meant to announce the album's arrival, or like it was written to be played at the opening of a concert. So it's one of those just right out there at you. There's the teaser, which really doesn't sound like the rest of the album. Usually this is a short, you know, maybe like a minute long, and it seems like, oh, maybe it's going here, and then it just goes in a totally different direction. There's the setup, which doesn't sound radically different from what the rest of the album's going to give you, but it's really all about setting up that second song. That, so, so this sort of like floats in, and then song two punches you in the face. And finally, we have the blueprint which gives you an overview of what to expect from the album, you know, the themes, the sounds, etc. Uh, sometimes a blueprint is just uh, song one, and other times it's a little bit more of a pumped-up version. So those are the ones that I have come up with. If you have any to suggest sometime in the future, please feel free to drop us a line about that. So the first track on the album is called Speed Trials. And for me, I think this is a blueprint opener. Now, I bought this album sight unseen. I hadn't not heard anything by Elliot Smith. I had seen Goodwill Hunting, but I don't think any of the songs had really stuck with me. And I didn't know what to expect. And so there's a little bit of that, like you can hear him plugging in this guitar. And then it goes, and so I don't know. And even now, all these years later, I still have that moment of, 
I wonder what this is going to sound like. Still, even now, I still get a little bit of that feeling. Uh, so like, what's coming next? I think really gives you, this is what you're going to hear on this album. I think there's a few songs where there's more of the full band treatment. We'll talk about that. But this really just opens up. It's, it's Elliot Smith and a guitar. I'm sure there's some other instrumentation in there. But as far as I know, this is just, I, I, there is some drums. That's right. I think most of the record has the band. I think it's only one or two songs, actually, where it's just him and a guitar, if I remember correctly. I always remember it as him and just a guitar. And then when I really listen close, like, oh, no, there are drums. Because sometimes the drums are like really, really sparse. They're in the back and, you know, like playing with brushes as opposed to playing with sticks or something. So uh, this one does have, this does have some drums in it as well. But it really, when I think of it, it doesn't because it's just got that opening guitar and then it kicks, the, the drums kick in. I think this is just a great song. This is a really good opener. It tells you, it shows you what's happening with this album. Uh, what about you? What do you think about this one? Yeah, I think I agree with you that it's, it's, it's just another song on the record. You know, like, I mean, there are some records, like when you mentioned like the call to action, uh, I always think about uh, Black Dog from Zeppelin Four. Like, I mean, I always, I always thought about that. Like if you were like, you know, a teenager in the seventies and you were a fan of Led Zeppelin and you know, that record comes out and you go and buy it on the first day it comes out, like you haven't heard anything yet and you go home and put that vinyl on, man, that's just like <laughs> a, 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 a slap in the face, you know, like yeah, you've nice. just got to be so excited to do that. You know, I think that Elliot's record doesn't really do that. I think uh, actually if, if you go on to uh, XO, Sweet Adeline is uh, a little more powerful for for an opener than than this one. It's it's like a pretty chilled vibe, I think, yeah. for an intro. Like for an intro tune, it just sort of sets it up a little bit. I mean, you know, Elliot Smith kind of has those like kind of just the, the only acoustic tracks. Um, and then he's got the more pop oriented stuff like like the the brit rock or brit pop kind of vibe to it and then he's got these things that are kind of in between and this is a little bit more in between i think it sets up what you're going to hear so there's not a lot of surprises and it's a good song uh so moving on to the second one alameda uh what do you think about this one paul yeah the the jaded lover song i think um I, I read a little bit about this because I didn't know this record. So I, I did a little research into some of these songs, like just sort of like the, the history of them and whatnot. And I read something that, that uh, a lot of people thought that Alameda could be like a place where he grew up, like Alameda District uh, in Portland, Oregon. I think he moved there when he was maybe 14 or 15, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's, it's a cool song. I mean, generally, I think he's a great songwriter and I don't think that there's really... Like, he doesn't really write bad songs, you know? Like, there's there's not really... In, in my opinion, maybe there's a couple songs on this record that I don't like quite as much. Um, but Alameda, it's a good tune. Um, I like when the electric guitar kicks in about yeah. halfway through. Because I think that, you know, Speed Trials is pretty relaxed. And then the beginning of Alameda is also pretty relaxed. And then finally, when the electric guitar comes in, that the album kind of gets going for me but the lyrics are like nice to that i think you know there's a really nice melody yeah so for me uh this is the one that okay this i now i know what what album i'm listening to because it's always hard to tell with that first track what you're gonna get and so when it kicks into the second one like you said it, it kind of keeps that same vibe up until about what maybe the last third of the song or something last half of the song uh and so for me this like establishes what I'm listening to. I really like this tune. So these first two songs are good. I'm going to move on now to the to the third song, which is The Ballad of Big Nothing. And this is when I feel like this album really kicks off. The production just feels bigger. And this is the first time where it really feels like you have a full band treatment. 
and not just additional instrumentation. But like I, this, I can see four dudes in a room playing the song, unlike the other two tracks where it's like, uh, it's, you know, Elliot and I don't know, was there a drummer back there? I don't remember. <laughs> so this is one, it, it feels big and it's really just a biting look at a life not very well lived. This is a great tune. Uh, this is one of my favorite songs on the record, Definitely. actually. I think, like, like for me, this record in general, like, like the, the bigger produced and kind of bigger band songs are my favorites yeah. on the record, uh, kind of in general, uh, not only with this track. Yeah, you know, uh, oh, you know, the really cool thing about this is that the intro is exactly the same, basically. It's like the same uh, setup as Speed Trials. So, like, if you listen to those chords in the beginning, like, you think it's going to go into uh, Speed Trials, but then it goes somewhere else. I, I, didn't, I didn't notice that. I'll have to give that another listen. Yeah, you'll have to check it out. Like, if you listen to the intro, like, of both of those songs, it's basically exactly the same. It just goes in a different direction. So, for me, like, the, the only criticism I have because of that, because it is a really cool thing. I, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of, like, the, the reprise on a record where you've got, like, a 30-second, you know sort of little memory of, of something that you heard earlier. I like that just in what it does for kind of the overall construction of a record, like yeah. of, the, of a full album. But what I would have done personally is move that a couple songs in. So if maybe it's like the fifth or sixth track and then it comes back and you can think like, oh, right, I've heard that before. But it's a little bit later in the record. I think yeah. he uses that a little bit too early. So I would, I love the song. It's one of my favorites on the record. I wish it was a little bit later in the album because I think that just using that introduction twice it would it would set it up a little bit better okay so like if it was closing out side one let's say so if it was at the end of the if you had a vinyl record and it was then that before you flipped it over if that's where it was that that would work better for you closing out side one or opening side two like either one of those choices would be probably a good place for it okay oh, okay that's interesting now I'm gonna have to I, did, I never picked that up so I'm gonna have to go back and listen to that now that goes on now to uh, track four between the bars and uh, what do you think Paul yeah this one um you know I I've seen Goodwill Hunting and, and I was a fan of the film and of the the soundtrack so when I looked at this like if you if you look at like uh people looking at the lyrics on this record at least on the side I was using you know there were like 10,000 people looked at this song 15,000 people looked at this song and like 189,000 people looked at this song <laughs> so I thought huh I wonder why like maybe this is like the big hit because listening to this you know I like the tune it's not my favorite on the record it's it's probably one of my least favorites on the record which is not to say I don't like it I like the song quite a lot I just like some of the other songs better uh, but a lot of people obviously liked this one probably because of the association with Goodwill Hunting but I don't remember where it was in the film yeah me either so I mean I know he's a part of that and I know I think the closing song Miss Misery which is not on this album, uh, which was written specifically for that is I think the end uh, like the end scene but I don't remember and I've seen that movie a bunch of times and it just never really you know the the elliot smith contribution like i love elliot smith but i don't really notice it on the movie ah right okay yeah that makes sense um you know i think uh i think these songs like you know lyric wise i know this deals with his alcohol addiction and i think a lot of his songs kind of dealt with his alcohol and drug addiction i mean i think that that's kind of you know, when when you think about Elliot Smith, I mean, that's that's a big part of who he was. I think this scales back a little bit after the Ballad of Big Nothing we had, or that full band treatment, and then this is back down again, where it's just the guitar, and uh, or I'm sure there's more, but again, sort of like let's say uh, dominated by the guitar, by the acoustic guitar. I love the line, "I'll kiss you again uh, between the bars." Mm. 
because that could mean like 10 different things. Right. And I love the ambiguity of that. It's like, oh, you know, are, are they kissing, going from one bar to another? Is this like a metaphor for, for prison? Is it, you know, I, I like the song. It's not my favorite song on the album, but this is one that really showcases him as a songwriter. And I think there's a lot of just killer lines in it and that you could just like, I don't know what he means by that. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. And the feeling of the song too is, is it, it's sort of like just a guy with his guitar at an open mic night in New York, you know, like, like that it has that kind of like singer songwriter feeling to it. That, that is nice. And, he, and he's, he, I mean, he is a singer songwriter, maybe not for me in the way that some of the folk musicians were. I think that he's more of, I think he's coming more from like a rock pop background even though he's playing acoustic guitar yeah well i think he was in a like a punk band before called heat miser he comes from you know a rock and roll background but he said he reminds me a lot of simon and garfunkel and so there's like if simon and garfunkel without them without the harmonies uh-huh kind of if they were just one person so just something about that approach because i know they were folky but they were also kind of a little bit rock and uh, a little bit you know then so associated with the graduate so also associated with this movie and just something about it and that's just the first thing that comes to mind when i hear elliot smith is like if simon and garfunkel was one person oh that's interesting for me I, I hear that more like um for me simon and garfunkel is a little more on the folk side and i think he's more on the rock side i i, I associate him a lot with the beatles actually i think he has that sort of sensibility of just the fact that he can really write a great melody. He's really interested in what he does sort of harmonically, like with the harmonic progression of his songs. There's always kind of like a... He, he has this great way of sort of throwing you off a little bit. That, that he, he, he'll kind of... You think the song's going in one direction and then he plays a chord that's just completely unexpected. And it sort of just takes it in a different direction very, inter, uh, very instantly and kind of unassumingly. Hmm. Okay, that's... Uh... Again, nice to nice to hear from uh, some people who know what's going on. Track five, "Pictures of Me." I think this is the most up tempo song on the album, and this is the, again the most like band feeling that this, along with the uh, ballad of Big Nothing, like you can really hear the full band behind him in this one. Uh, and it's obviously just all about being misrepresented in the media and a disdain for fame in general. And again, he was on a label called Kill Rock Stars, so I know they had. And he came from the Pacific Northwest, and even though he was living in California at the time time he does have a little bit of that i don't want to be famous posturing while also yeah. trying to sell a, a lot of records <laughs> a little bit of a uh, well you know kind of this is a very 90s uh posture let's say i mean if you see interviews with him like it's pretty clear that he's really uncomfortable yeah. like kind of in that role i mean he's not you know really a self-promoting guy i think and you can see that he's pretty uncomfortable like when he's interviewed too Oh, yeah. I haven't watched too many of the interviews with him. I've seen a couple, obviously, over the years. But yeah, I just because he's just so sad. It's such a sad story about him that I don't I don't I just kind of I try to enjoy the music for what it is. Right. And without seeing him torture himself up there. Uh, what do you think about Pictures of Me? I love this song. It's um, this this is totally like um, like a Brit pop kind of song. It has that kind of bubblegum pop. And I'm kind of a sucker for that. So. Uh, yeah, I love this song. It's it's um it's very Beatles esque to me. Uh, like just kind of like that like kind of straight uh, tempo beat uh, that goes in there. And the cool thing about that I think is too is that it's sort of like the way that the bass and drums play. It's just like bop 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 bop. And it's like uh, you know there's nothing in between that, so you don't know if it's like a swing thing where it's like 
bop ba da ba da ba da ba da or if it's like a da 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 you don't really hear that, but but he kind of plays with that a little bit in this song, and it's something that I really like. There's only one thing though that's um he says something about like picture of me, and then he says like completely wrong, totally wrong, and I think I just don't like the way that lyric uh, works. Like it's something that that for as much as I really love him as a songwriter and as a lyricist. It's sort of like he's repeating himself twice there, and I wish he'd come up with something else. But it was—it's just sort of like one little pet peeve I have in, in a song that I otherwise love. This might be my favorite song on the record, actually. So you don't like the the repetition of wrong? Yeah, it was just—it was just something about like the way the way that it happens in the song that it's like just a little bit off-putting for me. But otherwise, it, it's like a very very small blemish on an otherwise uh, brilliant song, in my opinion. On to track number six, uh, which is No Name Number Five. What do you think here? Yeah, this is a cool song. Uh, This is, I think, more of kind of like a singer-songwriter song. I I mean, I think this is like probably a little more folky. Um, It's interesting that in this song, there's not really a chorus. uh, So that he has just sort of like these verses that repeat, but there's there's not kind of like a verse-chorus, verse-chorus kind of form. And I think, too, it's sort of like between... You know, Pictures of Me is is up-tempo, and then Rose Parade's also up-tempo. And I think that this is sort of like a break between those two. That, and of course, I think the fact that there's no real chorus is probably why they have it has the name that it has. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'd say this is probably my least favorite song on the record. Uh, I still like it, so I'm not saying it's a bad song, but uh, it's just a little draggy. And this is one where I, I kind of wish this would have gotten a bit of the full band treatment and maybe pumped it up just a little bit because it just musically doesn't go anywhere for me. That said, what an awesome opening couplet. Got bitten fingernails and a head full of the past and everybody's gone at last. So even though I don't like the song, that's that's how you open up a song, my friends. That is a, <laughs> that's a great <laughs> lyrical opening. Uh, I don't have too much more to say about it because it just, again, doesn't go anywhere for me. I don't really think... Elliot Smith writes bad songs, and right. so, like, I, I don't think he, he's... I mean, sometimes you just hear a clunker, and you just think, like, man, what the hell were you guys thinking? Why did that make it on the record? So, yeah, so that's one that uh, I think could have uh, just... It needed just something, and I don't know what. Uh, but that brings us on to track seven, Rose Parade. Uh, and this one starts a bit up-tempo, so you feel like you're getting one of the, one of the little more rocky ones, but then it just settles back down. But there's just re- there's terrific imagery here, and it's somehow fun and sad and silly and melancholic all at the same time. And I know there's been a couple of interpretations whether you know what Rose Parade could mean. I know there was a, a annual parade in Portland. Yeah, exactly. I think that's where he kind of got the basis for that song. There's other people who obviously can. It's a song. It could be interpreted a lot of different ways. But I I really like this tune. It's not my favorite. That's coming up a little bit later. What are your thoughts on Rose Parade? Yeah, this is another one of my favorites actually on this record. I, I like this song a lot. I mean, I think like uh, lyrically, it's it's really uh, pretty good. Um, there's this one line in the third verse: uh, "The trumpeter's obviously been drinking because he's fucking up even the simplest lines." Uh, that's great. You say it's a sight that's quite worth seeing. It's just that everyone's interest is stronger than mine. I think that there's this sort of idea in this song of like, there's a lot more people that are a lot more excited about being at the parade than he is. And I got that feeling like he was kind of forced to go. He was dragged along. Right. And he's trying to have fun 
and he's kind of having fun, but he's not because he's not a fun parade kind of guy. You know, it's one of these. I think there's a lot going I've on. I've been at those parades. I mean, I empathize with him in that situation. <laughs> so my parents used to drag me down. It was like a, the parade of lights in Denver, Colorado. It's like at the end of November every year. And these were like the years either pre-Merino wool socks or my parents just didn't invest in them for me. But I would just freeze my ass off, you know, looking at like this parade of lights. And it was so annoying. So, yeah, I don't know when the rose parade happens in portland hopefully it's not in november yeah i don't i don't know track eight we have punch and judy uh what are your thoughts here yeah this was kind of so-so for me the, the kind of these next two tracks punch and judy and uh angelus uh these are sort of like probably my least favorite songs on the record uh they, they were kind of you know sort of ho-hum uh i i think that the end of the record dips a little bit more than the beginning of the record for me so uh, it's not that I dislike either song. Uh, I just sort of lump them together as, as maybe not being quite as catchy as some of his other tunes. Punch and Judy is another one that this is what I wish got the full band treatment. I wish this was more up-tempo. I think this song could have benefited from that. I have very different thoughts on Angelus than you do, but uh, with Punch and Judy, I think it's... Uh, it's okay, you know, and I, I think is a song that could have been better with a, a little bit more of a tempo. For somebody, because he uses a, a bit of driving imagery throughout the album, but it's not like the Springsteen, I'm getting out of here driving imagery. And it's not the, the Afghan Whigs tend to use driving imagery a lot where it's forced intimacy. Mm-hmm. He just has this, I'm driving around and I'm not going anywhere. Right. And it's just weird. Like, and I, I found that, especially, in, there, I can't remember what the line is in this song, but that actually made me write down a note because we do see a few times where he mentions driving and it doesn't have that either the freedom or, or it doesn't have the, the love aspect. It's just sort of like, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm in a fucking car, you know? Right. So and I, I think that's kind of interesting when you see sort of these predilections that some songwriters have for fairly standard rock and roll imagery what are you th- what are your thoughts about angelus i love the song this is one of my favorite songs on the album it's not my all-time favorite it's but probably my second favorite like all time like of any elliot smith song no on this album oh on this album yeah on this album i love the song and this is one that i love that it's just this quiet acoustic uh because i love the the just the rhythm of the guitar and the sound is just it really works for me and this is always it's about a struggling but in demand artist in the city of dreams right so he's already moved to california he doesn't really know what he's doing about that they said he wasn't great at self-promotion but he clearly had just a shit ton of talent and so you end up where people are going to find that talent so he's in los angeles but he doesn't know his place in los angeles yet i think this record had sold i read some like only twenty thousand copies the chorus is you know so nice to meet you Angelus, but is is that being sarcastic? Right. Uh, is that legitimate? Is it somewhere in the middle? And I think there's, we talked about with the kissing between the bars, I think that this is one that, I think your gut reaction is he's being sarcastic. But he doesn't sing it sarcastically, and he doesn't doesn't have that. You know, it's not in it's not in italics. It's not you know with a, with a little asterisk or anything. But you still wonder because. You know, you don't, does he want to be there? Is he there because he feels like he has to be there? Is he actually kind of happy, but still finding his place there? And I think there's a lot going on. And I just, I love, I just love the guitar sound in this and the way his voice works with the guitar. It's really one of, one of my favorites on the record. And, and you know, LA is such a fake place too. And I mean, I, I, I could just see him not really boating well there. I mean, it just doesn't seem like that's the type of place for him. Sure. And I think that the, I think the image that's out there, like I, I've seen your face on a hundred dollar bill. Right. And so I'm sure that was people just pitching him, 
you know, so even though he wasn't selling a lot, a lot of records, I think there were people who realized he could sell sure. a lot of records and they were really trying to woo him. If you're kind of uncomfortable and, and again, was I'm sure that's where the alcoholism and the drug abuse came from. Right. It's a sad song, but it's also, there's like a touch of hope in it. One that I really like. That's moving on to track 10, Cupid's Trick. What do you think here? I love it. Yeah. Yeah, I totally love this song. Yeah, I lo- I love like the line in the chorus, "Sugar me up, it's my lie." It's repeated, and it, and it's like kind of finally too. There's a guitar solo. There's a really nice guitar solo song. I think it's the only solo on the record. Probably, yeah. Now that you say, it, as soon as you said that, I'm like, have we heard another guitar solo? I don't think so. No, I think that's the one and only guitar solo on the record, and it's a good solo too. It it doesn't, you know, it's not gonna wow you or anything but it's just like it does what it needs to do it's sort of like you know when you look at guitar players like johnny marr from the smiths uh kurt cobain like if you think about uh smells like teen spirit i mean his guitar solo is just the melody of the tune like he doesn't he doesn't reinvent anything but it's just the right break for that song that does exactly what it needs to do and i think that the guitar solo here is kind of similar like that that it, it just sort of says what it needs to say but it doesn't um it doesn't need to be any more than it has to be. I've always heard this wrong because uh, I, I looked at the lyrics doing for you know for this show and so like you know sugar lick me up it's my lie. I always thought it said shooting me up it's my life. I, I thought it was my life too. Yeah, I, I I had to look and I or I stood corrected. But as far as I know, he did not include the lyrics to this song on the vinyl copy, the original vinyl issue. So I think it was meant to be misheard. I read something about that that too. Yeah, that's, so, you're right about that. And you know, there's the the imagery of you know. Cupid's arrows and obviously needles and you know I think the song gets a little bit repetitive this is the first time I felt like there could have been more lyrics to this one but he keeps repeating this line that we're supposed to miss here ah, so okay. it's I think interesting and uh, it's not my favorite on the album because I think it just goes on just a little bit too long sort of like where you had the problem with the uh, wrong wrong for this one just the fact that it's just this one thing kind of repeated doesn't doesn't do a ton for me I was happy to hear the the band treatment again uh, as much as I like the folky stuff, I think it did a good job of kind of going back and forth and giving you a little bit of both right. as far as with the band goes. So that was uh, that was fun. Which then brings us on to 2.45 a.m. Now, I have joked in the past that if your favorite song on the album is the second to last song, the band disagrees with you. <laughs> so I'm going to have to say Mr. Smith probably disagrees with me because this is my favorite song on the album. I love this song. I've included this song on probably a 10 different mixed tapes or whatever i just think this is a great tune yeah what do you it's funny that you say that because this is probably my least favorite song on the record so i'm I'm curious to know like like, so what is it about this song that i think this is again i think goes to his songwriting prowess that there's a lot of just little detail like he does a lot with very little Mm -hmm. and there's the the line about you know looking for the man who attacked me while everybody was laughing at me and that for me is such a brutal line. And I think this goes back in like I would, I'll play a lot of times if I just pop this on, like if I have like a CD or if I, especially if I'm listening to my, my iPod, I will sometimes go from Angelus to this song because I feel that they play well together. Oh, okay. So those two. So you got that kind of the acoustic. I'm in, I'm in Los Angeles. And then it's this, he clear, he got beat up by somebody. Nobody helped him. People were mocking him. He's out looking for the guy, but I don't think he's, you know, a very brutish kind of fella. So I think even if he finds the guy, he doesn't know what he's going to do about it. And there's just something like haunting and humiliating and off-putting. And I just, I love this song. Huh. I'll have to, I'll have to listen to it from that perspective, like from the lyric perspective, because I, I, I recognize that 
it's it's a little bit more of like a prose style writing of, of the lyrics and sometimes i felt a little bit like he forces the melody a little bit too much just to sort of fit the lyrics that he wanted to have in the song whereas a lot of times with elliot smith i think he's so good at crafting a melody that so perfectly fits the lyrics that he writes uh, and here i think he misses that a little bit <laughs> the other thing i honestly don't like about this song at all is that like he brings in like it's you know it's acoustic for the entire song until the very end and right. then he brings in the bass and the drums at the at the very end of the song and i just think like why like like what 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 purpose do the bass and the drums serve at that point because it's not like, you know, there, there can be these songs where like you wait and you wait and you wait and then you finally kick it in and then it's really going to go up to another level. You know, he's really going to take the song to a different place, but it doesn't really go to a different place. It's just sort of like it's there for a second and, and then, then it's it gone. Yeah. So because you see another where that'll break the tension and, right. and he's not building the tension. So I, I do. There's something about just that just the way the drums come in and then go right out that I do enjoy. But I can see that that doesn't seem to serve a real purpose like you will see with other songs that will give you like a minute or a two minute. Right. You you know something is coming and you don't get that with this one. It's just all, kind of out of nowhere. So sure. yeah, I'll give you that. This is always a song that's worked well for me. So then that brings us to the last track, Say Yes. What do you got for us, Paul? I totally love this song. I think this song is so amazing. Yeah, like the melody is so great. It's maybe like one of my favorite melodies on the record when, when he sings this. I also love that it just sort of ends too. Like, like it's just sort of like he runs out of text and then he runs out of music at the same time and it's sort of like like the car that's running out of gas as it's going up the hill but it works so well for me it's it's simple it's you know generally like my favorite songs on this record are like the louder songs with the exception of this one i would say like my favorite songs on the record are like the loud songs and say yes for me it's that's like sing-songy rhythm totally and it's like a story, almost like a storybook. Like a lullaby almost. Yeah, yeah. Lullaby, that's the word I'm looking for. So it's got the lullaby type rhythm to it. It's slightly upbeat. Like you said, it just, it just kind of ends. And I like the way this ends the album because I think the album starts the same way. It just kind of starts. He plugs in and he plays. You know, there's not like a big, here's the album. It's like, here's the album. And now it's done. And there's something that the bookends of that, I think, really work. And just that ending is what this album needed, I think. It's a great ending song for a record. That is, uh, that's it for the album. So what are your final thoughts here, Paul? Yeah, I said it earlier. I think that generally, I mean, I think like... I think that you either like Elliot Smith or you don't. And, and if you like him, you pretty much like everything he did because it's all sort of in, in one place. So I think generally for me, you know, I love Elliot Smith. I think he's a great, great songwriter. I think that for me, a little bit, it's sort of like what he sort of did throughout his records. And, and there, maybe the records are a little bit different. Like Figure Eight is maybe a little bit more produced and there's, there's a few more instrumentalists on the record. But generally, I think sort of like Elliot Smith sort of has his sound and his style, and he never really sort of evolved out of that. So it's sort of like, you know, if you listen to sort of his early record like this, and then you listen to Figure Eight, I mean, you can really sort of see a lineage, which with me, it's just sort of like one artist, where it's like, it's not necessarily like this record, it has a very distinct feel to it, and then the next record has a very distinct feel to it. It all just sort of feels like Elliot Smith to me. And so it's not necessarily a criticism. I think that he just sort of had like the one thing that he could do, and he just did it really, really well. If I'm in the mood to hear Elliot Smith, there's probably about a 75% chance I'm grabbing this, and the other 25% probably goes to figure eight. Eh, maybe take a few smaller percentages, I'll listen to other stuff. I 
think a lot of times it can like the first album we hear by an artist is what kind of imprints them on us. Right. So I like stuff that he did before. I like stuff that he did after. But this is the when I'm when I'm in a mood, this is probably what I want to listen to. Uh huh. Yeah, I think Elliot Smith is the kind of guy that I can listen to two or three records in a row. And like, if I'm in a mood to listen to Elliot Smith, I I can keep that. I can sustain that mood for a while. There are some bands. It's it's especially uh, Bob Marley and James Brown that when I start listening to it, I'm like, man, this is fucking great. Like, I love it. <laughs> like, this is this is just perfect. And after 15 minutes, I, I just think to myself, I need to listen to something else. Like, I got to turn it off. You can only take it to the... James Brown can only take you to the bridge so many times before, you know, you've just got to s- switch gears. Yeah, there's always so much going on with both of those. But with Elliot, like, like Dave Matthews is a little bit like that. Like, I can listen to Dave Matthews for a while, but I can pretty much do, like, one record and then I need to listen to something else. But I could listen to Elliot Smith for, like, an entire afternoon. Totally fine with that. That it's diverse enough and it's, it's catchy enough. There are some other bands like that, like the Beatles I could listen to kind of all day. The Smiths I could listen to all day, um, like kind of multiple records. It, it just as long as I'm in that mood. And Elliot Smith is one of those guys that, um, but for me, probably XO is my go-to first record and Figure Eight would be my go-to second record. Paul, well, thank you so much for joining me today. Really appreciate it. Have fun uh, talking about Elliot Smith and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to I Fucking Love This Record, now available on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please subscribe, share, and comment. For this and other podcasts, please check out www.lovethisrecord.com, where you can also sign up for our monthly newsletter. If you would like to co-host an episode, write to me at lovethisrecord at gmail.com. Instagram and Twitter, we are lovethisrecord1. Facebook and Pinterest, we are Love This Record. Music at the top and bottom by The Ashes of Grissom. Special thanks to original patron Mark Evers for getting this podcast back on track. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.